if you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious. Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited to have Jessica Wan with me today. For almost two decades, Jessica was a marketing leader on the CMO track who built teams, launched products, and grew companies across tech, startups, and the arts at organizations like the San Francisco Opera, Apple, Smule, and Magoosh. Today, she's an executive coach who works with leaders to navigate change, manage teams effectively, and lead authentically. As a coach, she elevates people through a supportive process to make the invisible visible and uncover meaningful insights. Along with her business expertise, Jessica has also built a career as a singer and performer, is a mom to a young child, and hosts a podcast called The Ampersand Manifesto. Jessica, I'm so excited to chat with you today and hear more about The Ampersand Manifesto. Thank you, Kathy. I'm so excited to be here. So let's actually start there before we dive into your career. You know, often I start the podcast looking back at people's careers, but I actually want to start with the ampersand and hear more about what this is and why you wanted to champion this idea. Absolutely. So I think this idea has both lived inside me in some way for basically my whole life, but also didn't have the chance to come to fruition until last year, 2022. And there had been times in my life when I would think, um, you know, basically, where are all the people like me? Uh, And (laughs) to to give some context, um, there were points in my life, you know, in undergrad, I was running between these big engineering classes and these very small, like uh, six person seminars on Mozart operas, because I did this double major in product design and music, but I didn't stop there. So as an adult, I would have my marketing job. And then I would, I remember in San Francisco, I would run from my marketing job at the San Francisco opera to rehearsal for pocket opera. And I'd be like running down uh, Goth street because the rehearsal was there I would pack my dinner and for so long and, and still now I feel like I lead these double this double life and what has happened is I've actually collected people around me who also have this sort of iteration and they're all ampersands so I was sitting down with my mentor David Reamer last year and David um he's an executive in residence at Haas he led marketing at, at Yahoo when Yahoo was, you know, the biggest player in town. He's he's an amazing person. He also is a theater producer, which is his ampersand. And we were having lunch at Saul's in Berkeley last year. 
around probably this time, around probably January, February last year. And I, I said to him, David, what do we call people like us? I don't love the term, like, I, I, I think like hyphen, like a multi-hyphenate or a slash, all these <laughs> punctuation marks, right? And um, so we kind of batted those ideas around. And then that night at 2.30 a.m., I woke up and I said, we're ampersands. And it it came to me and landed. And, um, and then I, I got to realizing, you know, a lot of the people I coach are self-described ampersands, you know, people who are uh, working marketing jobs, but they um, had an Etsy shop that did something completely different. Or, um, so, and, and a lot of times what was really interesting was this balance of analytical and creative. So this is really, this was the fruition of the ampersand manifesto and once I realized that the medium could be a podcast, then things went pretty quickly. And a lot of the people I had collected in my friend group throughout the years, they are folks that I've interviewed um, in season one. I love this. And you're answering part of the question that I wanted to ask you as a follow-up to that, which is, are ampersands a type of individual? Because you were saying, where are my peeps, right? Like, where are people like me? And yet I also still wonder, do you think that this is something that should be cultivated in more of us? Do you think that some of us are just born this way to be ampersands? Or do you think that societally we're too often told to choose? I think both. I think that there are people who are more wired this way. And I think there's also this aspect of uh, staying busy, keeping busy and being very uh, feeling that you're in a thriving mode when you are busy. Uh, I think that is kind of a common thread that I've seen. However, I think that everyone has the potential to be an ampersand, but society historically has very much driven us into our narrow paths and boxes, uh, pigeonholes, if you will. And I think we have an opportunity, especially now with what all that work can look like to really show future generations that, you know, a little girl who says, I want to be a ballerina and an astronaut. And you just say, yes, that's all you need to say. Yes, you can. You can do both of these things. Uh, so that is my hope for, for this, this new movement. I, I hope that this is more than a podcast, but really a movement to show that this ampersand life is possible. Yeah. And it's it's so interesting to me as you're saying that I was just what was popping into my mind. And I'm surprised it hadn't popped into my mind prior to this moment, which is this idea of the being a Renaissance person. And that <laughs> is something that, you know, really is celebrated. And when we think of these individuals, we always herald them as like, oh my gosh, they were such a Renaissance person. And yet today we are often told to focus and choose. And 
I guess I'm curious, we'll go into this a little bit more. I know as the conversation goes on, but like if if you were giving somebody advice and they were like being told to choose, where might you point people instead? Instead of that type of advice, what advice might you give them? I think it depends a little bit on circumstance mm. and life stage. Mm. Uh, for example, if I was talking to a recent college grad who had, you know, no work experience and was deciding between, say, going to work for a big company and they were, you know, mildly interested or becoming a YouTube celebrity. I, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, there is a lot of value in trying things out that do have structures and um, well, kind of more of a guaranteed income. But I, I also think that this is just even this example that I pulled out of thin air, it is not an or at all. Like you can do both of those things. And the other thing to remember is that hopefully life is long. So there are going to be many iterations of you and your focus and what is um, what is presenting itself as interesting and leads that you want to follow. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I think it really at any point in time, I might just take away the focus from the choosing to figuring out what kind of balance makes sense or, or, what parts of what thing are really calling to you at that moment. Well, I'm going to come back to diving deeper into ampersand. But before we get there, I do want to come back to your own career path and career journey and perhaps bring it back to that moment in time in college. How did you end up choosing to major in both design and product design and music? So I went to Stanford and. Um, when I got in and somebody in the high school newspaper or something asked, oh, what's going to be your major? Uh, I just said pre-med because like quote air quotes, that is what bright kids do. And, you know, that will help the world. And I hadn't really given it that much thought. Um, and I went to Stanford and I, I always thought I'd probably get a music minor because music was my thing. I was a, a music kid. I played piano and then violin and oboe. I was in the orchestra and the, the um, concert band and the marching band. So it was absolutely, you know, so much a part of my identity. So I, I went to Stanford it was a no-brainer that I just started on the music core curriculum. And then I ended up taking so many classes, even in my freshman and sophomore years, that uh, it was clear I was just going to get the major. I also had this kind of mindset of needing to really maximize my, I don't know, my academic opportunity because I was going to this great school. And so I was definitely the person who petitioned every single quarter to take 21 units. I think 20 was the max. 
Um, but I didn't know I was going to major in product design. I started that first year. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of core curriculum that you, you have to take. And I did a whole year of uh, classes. And then what happened was I, I just looked back at my freshman year and I looked at all the classes I took and I looked at this interesting interdisciplinary major called product design and every single class fit. And I thought, oh, I think this is a sign that this is what I should be doing. It's really interesting. Um, so uh, you had to fulfill most of the mechanical engineering requirements, but I also took um, improv as part of my major, photography, painting. Uh, so it was it was like the best major. And all those classes qualified for product design. Oh, yeah, amazing. I love yes. that. And and you know, looking back, I think. If I had discovered psychology earlier, I might have majored in psychology. I think I took it maybe my junior year. So it was just a, a little late then, but I loved that. And, and I really, you know, I, I did feel some, I don't know if it was kind of societal or cultural pressure to get a major in engineering or, you know, something practical. Um, so I did that, but you know, product design was a, a pretty artistic and creative mm. way to do it. Right, right, right. So then how, as you stepped out of college and into the work world, how did you end up navigating these different sides of yourself as you kind of navigated your career over time? I certainly did not have a lifelong plan or goal or game plan. And when I look back, I think in my early 20s, I was quite beholden to the shoulds. And I think that's something that we all need to unlearn. I mean, we basically spend uh, childhood kind of learning the shoulds and then we, we spend adulthood unlearning the shoulds. Uh, but when I graduated, um, I just thought, okay, I have this product design degree. I must work at a design firm. So that was my goal. And um, you know, it was a different time. It was 2003. I had moved back to my, my family's home in Columbus, Ohio, because I didn't have a job right away. Um, and I remember being in the basement at our very old desktop computer. And I think I was looking at Craigslist or, you know, just... Things were different 20 years ago of first jobs out of college. And um, really back then, even at a school like Stanford, there wasn't much recruiting for product design. Um, and it was, it was, you know, product design in itself was a new thing. And this is before the D school was even kind of incorporated at Stanford. That's so, what I was reflecting on. I was kind of like, oh, actually design thinking probably had not really come no. into the mainstream quite, quite yet. It was probably on the fringe, but like not, yeah, IDEO was probably around, but not yes. that, yes. It was like IDEO was like the gold star of places where you could possibly work. And um, there was this cool company called Jump Associates. They were around, there was frog design. Um, and 
I ended up finding a job at a very small design firm. We call it kind of a boutique design firm. And we we took on all sorts of client projects. Um, we did some makeup packaging. We did an exercise bike in China. That was one of my favorite projects. I got to go there and actually interview people and go to gyms and see how people exercised in the wild. And then from there, like, so you had this design, so you had that first experience, but I'm, I am interested also in the fact that you landed at the San Francisco Opera and it almost mm-hmm. seems like, while you w- didn't major in marketing, you know, there, there, it seems like it's a combination of your musical interests, but also that creative side of you perhaps coming forward. And I'm wondering how that might've manifested for you and what that felt like for you to be working in the musical space in that kind of capacity. I had always been keeping an eye out at the opera. And oh, I know that because uh, they didn't hire anybody in marketing from 03 to 05. And at that time I had I'd been working at the design for, firm and I've been a little bit of a jack of all trades, but really it was marketing, market research, business development for the firm. And I'd, I had developed basically, you know, some market research skills, some BD skills. Uh, and then this job appeared at the San Francisco Opera. And it wasn't just my job, but they hired think four of us at, at once. And we started April 1st, 2005. So we called our ourselves the April Fool's crew. <laughs> I'm still friends with um, some of those folks. Uh, and we just had a wonderful community. And I think it was at the opera that I really started to learn about branding, marketing communications. I ran the first uh, email marketing. I mean, this is back in 2005. So it was pretty new. I had suggested that we get on social media and people were like, no, no, we're not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) It was too early. And, um, but really it was to see the inner workings of this world-class company. And, um, I, I got the, the opportunity to do, to be part of cool music stuff too, like this, um, this poster behind me, which you can see, and yes. well, listeners, you can just imagine it. It's a, a poster of Dr. Atomic, which premiered in hmm, 2000. Oh, it doesn't say the year. October of either 05 or 06. And uh, written by John Adams, who's a Berkeley native and one of the greatest living composers. Um, Peter Sellers. And we, we got to meet you know, the the folks who created it and the singers. And that was just amazing to be part of. You've then had these multiple career pivots. I think what was interesting to me, and I'm curious of your thoughts, is that I came across some research recently where it suggested that those who have multiple passive interests have an easier time making successful career transitions. And it seems like you've kind of naturally done this over time. And I was curious if you feel like you've been able to navigate your career over time, perhaps because you have kept your interests broader, because you have kept yourself open to possibility. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that, Jessica, in terms of how this has felt for you being an ampersand and kind of navigating your career over time? I mean, because a lot of people have so much angst around this, myself included, (laughs) you know, and I think that 
the fact that when one can actually acknowledge and celebrate the fact that they have multiple interests and that there might be multiple possible paths for them, that perhaps it makes it a little bit easier to navigate as you kind of jump from thing to thing. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I've definitely had angst too, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) I, I don't know, I guess one thought is that I can't imagine myself any other way. And I think when I talk to close friends or, or family, what's reflected back to me is this creativity that I've always had and that needs some sort of outlet. And I think also kind of support and compassion have come up. And I think that the iterations of that have really been within the workplace, um, you know, fostering a sense of community and culture. And then as my roles changed, um, you know, becoming a people manager and, and actually having more formal authority to do those types of things. Um, I don't know if it's easier. <laughs> to, I, I think every transition period that I've had has felt, well, uh, it's felt unmoored, right? And I really have, I have a lot of empathy for people who are in transitionary periods that uh, I think the way I would describe it is feeling unknown, unmoored, and not kind of securely attached. And those have been times when I have struggled. But I think with age and experience, you start developing more of a comfort with that discomfort. Like, I know that this is not the last time I'm going to feel that way, whether it's my own choosing or something that happens in my life. Um, I think that change has become easier for me over time because it's just happened so many times now. Um, I think the other thing I'll say um, is that one of my strengths finder strengths, uh, like in the top five, is positivity. And I think that that um, that has probably been helpful in these times of transition. Um, I tend to be a person who loves the beginnings of things. So when I have come to a decision and I'm moving forward, then it's just, it's really exciting. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, it's easy for me to be upbeat and, to really find um, positive angles. Mm. Well, thank you for being honest about, yes, the challenges with going through transition. And I think I appreciate this because even if this research suggests this, the reality is when one is in an inflection point in their life, in their work, they do feel, we all feel unmoored. And when one feels unmoored, it's uncomfortable and it is scary. So I appreciate you just being honest about that and acknowledging it. And then to say like, yes, that optimism, that positivity is a way to support oneself as they're going through that 
time, right? If some, if one finds themselves in this time of transition and what have you. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I was wondering if we could go back to go just a little bit deeper to about the ampersand. And I do wonder if you could maybe start with sharing, like what are some of the themes of all these individuals that you've had an opportunity to be in conversation with in addition to your own personal experiences? What are the, some of the themes that you're hearing from your podcast and that come through around people leading an ampersand life? I think one has been several folks saying that they just couldn't imagine life not being this way. And uh, particularly, I mean, a lot of folks on on the practical side, um, they do love their jobs. They love what they do, but it, it is what is, you know, financially keeping them afloat. Right. So, you know, it's, it's less not imagining that, but not imagining the creative side, which a lot of times is not financially con- contributing. And I think, you know, our capitalistic society, we we have literally placed monetary value on certain things and not other things. Um, but one theme that comes up is that, you know, people couldn't imagine ever not singing or painting or taking photographs or dancing or all these things that it's, it is more than a hobby. It's an identity. It's a a practice. And it is something that every single person has actually connected back, looped back to the thing that they do that is the financial part. So I think that's so the first the first insight is people can't imagine it any other way. Uh the second insight is that having these two big things actually allows for more focus on each of them in a way. Um so there's this like a famous example of Einstein playing the violin, right? When he got stuck on a tricky physics problem, he would go play his violin. And that opens up parts of the brain that can contribute to both sides. So it's it's almost like this, you know, loop feeding each other. Um, so that's the second piece, which is, you know, each side of the ampersand feeds the other. Mm. And then the third that I have, um, you know, I have felt this very deeply and it's been brought up by many others is that um, the creative um, endeavor really, it it feels like therapy, self-care, feeding the soul, however you want to put it. that I'm I'm thinking about an interview I had with my friend Ari, who his day job is he's chief of staff of um, neuropathology at UCSF. So big, big job. And he is also a wonderful, beautiful singer, uh, an opera tenor. And he said, you know, music is what keeps me sane. 
And you definitely want that in your, you know, <laughs> your doctor. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I think that for many of us, uh, myself included, I've always thought, you know, after I take a voice lesson, it is, it is like therapy in a way you're not talking about it, but you're focusing on this expression and a lot of your experiences and your emotions are processed through that expression. I love this. And I, and I really appreciate that you're highlighting these aspects for people. I do want to ask you one other thing about this, which you and I talked about in a separate conversation. We had talked about the book, One Person, Multiple Careers, the original guide to the slash career written by Marcy Alberher. And one of the things about that book that I recall, first off, it, it really resonated with me. It made me uh, think, oh, this is it. I like a lot of different things. I can step into a slash career. I can have variety in what I'm doing. And yet um, one of the things that I think she doesn't necessarily address all that well in the book is, well, how do you hold space for all of this and not get burnt out? How do you not overly stretch yourself from a time perspective? And yet you said earlier, one of the things that actually was a theme for yourself as well as for others was this idea of actually liking being busy or perhaps, you know, having the capacity to hold it. Or like you've said, well, I just can't not do it. But I'm curious that there was, there's been any threads around learning around how do you make the time? How do you have the capacity for allowing your ampersand to kind of shine through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that this also, just in my experience, has changed throughout the decades. Uh, I think in my 20s, I, well, I didn't even have this language of ampersand. I was just this person who you know, had this day job, but was also singing. I think back then it was maybe more about competitions or, you know, young artist programs, or should I go to conservatory for grad school? There were different goals and different, um, you know, more of a checkbox as an achievement. Um, Yes, my my number one strength is achiever. So I think there is something there's something in that as well. Um, but I think in my 20s and 30s, I would have been more, much more susceptible to burning out because um I think because of believing believing that I should be going after things that maybe were dictated by a society or something external and not kind of intrinsic motivation. And I think really in my thirties and, and now I'm in my forties, uh, intrinsic motivation is the reason I do this. I think, um, you know, maybe I, <laughs> I definitely have feelings about kind of the opera world. So basically you are maxed out of the opera world, young artist program wise at age 32 for women. And it's just like, you're, you're done. You're not young anymore. And, but maybe this is a gift because I think as I have gotten older, it's, it's less about 
you know, I'm going to audition for you and maybe I'll get the part or I'm going to participate in this thing or do a competition. And it's much more about this is what I want to study. This is what I want to sing. These are the programs I'm going to do. And, you know, I'll sing on this recital series. And that is, it's not even just enough. That's like amazing. It's, it is I feel like I'm thriving as a musician because I just get to do whatever I want. And this comes up in the podcast as well. I think um, I think for kids who are really into music or really any extracurricular, but they're, you know, really good at it, kind of predisposed to it, um, there has there has been a push or kind of a narrowing in like, if you want to go professional, that's, there's kind of one way to do it. And you have to really be in the top 1%, percent to, to make it, you know, your living. But I wonder, you know, what happens to everybody else. And my, my hope is also that, you know, people who had these childhood passions, whether it is music or athletics or art, you know, any sort of arts, um, that you can keep doing it at a very high level. Um, but you have to let go of these preconceived notions of a very, very narrow definition of success. Mm. And I think, you know, success now is like, oh my goodness, I'm, I am preparing right now for uh, a couple of recitals in March. And one of the sets of music is a uh, French art song written by female composers who have largely been forgotten. And I get to bring this to the world and to my local community. And I think, you know, that is, is wonderful. Um, so I think that it's, you know, my hope is that for people who maybe were on a track, but got dissuaded from, you know, seeing creative work as, you know, only one path to success, meaning financial success, that, you know, you can go back, you can keep doing it, you can do something new. And that can actually grow to a, a very big part of your life. I love that. Well, I mean, to that point, you just shared some of how you're living your ampersand life now. How do you also incorporate that? I know you're a parent to a young child. Like, how do you fit that in as well to this ampersand life? It's looked different, I think, um, at every stage of parenthood. Uh, and, you know, definitely before parenthood, it was easier because I I just had me and my husband, but we could, we could be fairly independent. And now, um, even going from, you know, two people in the family to three people in the family, think of the number of, uh, connections, right? There's, um, the one-on-one -on -one time between all three of us and then like three of us together. Um, so, you know, I remember my son being eight weeks old and I was, asked to sing at a wedding and I sang with him on my chest and he was asleep. And for me, the amazing discovery was actually singing when he was zero to two 
was fine. Well, I got blessed with a heavy sleeper. So I could practice when he napped and I could, I was performing actually more during those years than two to five. And that, that also was when the pandemic was kind of, you know, raging. Um, but now he's six and I'm getting back into it. Um, you know, I think before he was born, uh, I, I had this, it was kind of a loose goal of, you know, perform once a month in some way, um, you know, in front of people, new stuff that you're working on. Um, and now it's more maybe quarterly, but that is okay. And, um, and I think the pandemic was really, really hard on musicians and especially singers because for a while singing was a high risk activity. And I know I am certainly getting back into it. Like it's taking a little bit more ramp up time than it used to because we were all at home for so long. So yeah, I, um, my days are a mix of coaching and running my business, singing. I actually have a voice lesson right after this interview. And, um, and then, you know, parenting is, you know, it's, it's kind of all of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I typically will just look at my schedule, you know, for the next two weeks and make sure that I have a healthy balance of, of everything. Um, and it's been working out really nicely. Mm -hmm. Well, and one of the threads that I'm hearing and what you're sharing, Jessica, is this idea of really defining success on your terms and leaning into what intrinsically motivates you and what really brings you joy and makes you happy. And so I'm curious, what is on your horizon as you look to just your next ambitions and what's next for you, both across your ampersands? Hmm. Well, I love the way that you characterize sustainable ambition, because I would say that is the way I am thinking about ambition at this point in my life. Um, you know, what is sustainable? What sustains me? I would say, you know, if I had to choose, I would say I probably had too much ambition and like, it's okay to dial that back because I've, I have done a lot of things. I've done a lot of wonderful things. I've, um, you know, I've been in leadership roles in companies and I've worked at some amazing places. And now what's driving me forward uh, is really running my own business, coaching, helping people be successful. I really, I really feel like I am so lucky to be able to do this type of work and to work with people who are mostly kind of in the working world, the world where, you know, I was in the world of companies and, and working for startups. And now I get to really um, work with those folks who are coming up in their companies to leadership positions and help them thrive and be successful. Um, so that, that is such a gift. And 
I am starting on season two of the Ampersand Manifesto and starting the interviews again, which is super, super exciting. Um, and singing wise, yeah, I have this recital in March. And after that, I I don't know. After that, I'm sure like <laughs> the second recital is on March 18th. I'm sure on March 19th, I'm going to be like, hmm, what's next? What mm -hmm. should we do next? So um, yeah, that's what I have on the horizon. Mm -hmm. So exciting. Well, I'm so grateful that you are championing this idea of the ampersand and appreciate that you have the podcast out there for people to listen and get inspiration. To close this conversation, what's a final thought or consideration you might leave our listeners with? I know I've talked a lot about feeding the creative side, but I also want to talk about feeding the other side. Um, which you might say, look at as like analytical or practical or um, logical. <laughs> I'm not saying it's, you know, the opposite of creative, but just thinking about your, your brain, yourself as all of these things, I think is so useful. And, you know, I've met folks who started out as, you know, 100% creatives and are now kind of like exploring this other side and saying, oh my gosh, I kind of like, I kind of love a spreadsheet. I kind of love this slide deck. And I think, you know, life, life is too short to not try these things. And we don't have to put labels on them of like, this thing's more creative or this thing's more um, practical, but it's, I think every human has the capacity to um, be successful in these different uh, skill sets, these different domains. And I think it's really interesting when you ask the question, like, huh, like what traditionally have I been what have I been drawn to? What have I been good at? How can I develop that? But then like, what is something really different that I'm interested in, but maybe I'm like kind of bad at it, but what happens when I put more attention into it? So for example, at the beginning of this year, I started um, rock climbing. So I started bouldering and I'd been you know, like maybe once a year for the past 10 years. So meaning no progress at all. And I, I started doing, um, the adult classes at our local bouldering gym. And it is clearly not, it's not my zone of genius, but I'm having so much fun learning and just going from, um, like zone of incompetence to competence and it's really challenging and it's it's feeding me in a way that is actually different from any other part of my life but it's it's crazy because i'm finding connections to almost every single part of my life um so i would yeah i would just uh, challenge listeners to think about you know what is what is the thing i'm curious about but i'm 
I might fail at, but I might get better. I love that. I just hear you calling us forth into that ampersand (laughs) and to honor that and to recognize how it can feed everything else. So it's beautiful way to end. Well, if people want to keep in touch and perhaps even see you in a performance, how can they follow you, Jessica? Where can they find you? Yeah, my website is www.jessicawan.com. It's just my name. And if you ever want to chat about ampersand or any of the ideas that came up in the podcast, um, you can email me, j at jessicawan.com. Perfect. And of course, I'll capture that in the show notes. Jessica, this has been lovely. Thank you so much for the time today. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.